0: In improvisational theater, there is an adage that says, make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll, speaking with guests and listeners like you. Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here is your host, Amy Carroll.
1: Welcome everyone to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the seventh episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show is about, feel free to listen to previous episodes either on my website, carolcoaching.com, or the Voice America business channel, and be sure to download the app. Now, if you missed last week's show, I interviewed Robert Kahn, founder of the Leader Like You concept. Be sure to check it out on my website or your favorite podcast app. Today is a live show. That means you can connect with us directly. Today's topic is the power of humor and how it can positively impact relationships and results. Feel free to call in with your own success or disaster stories where humor either got you into or out of hot water. The number to call in with questions and comments is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. I am super happy to announce my guest today, Drew Tarvin. Welcome, Drew.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Now, a little bit about Drew. He is a humor engineer and the CEO of Humor That Works, a leadership development company that teaches professionals how to use humor to achieve better business results. He has partnered with top organizations like IBM, the UN, and even the FBI to solve human challenges with humor solutions. Drew is a best-selling author, and he's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and was named a visionary under 40 by the Procter and Gamble alumni network. His TEDx talk is on the skill of humor and has been viewed for more than wow, eight million times, only half of which are were his mom. <laughs> Yay for moms! <laughs> he loves chocolate and tweeting puns. So Drew, I think it's safe to say your passion is about humor and helping people to find and cultivate their own humor.
2: Yeah, that is a, a great assessment of what I love waking up and doing every single day.
1: Mm. You know, I have to say I share this passion as well. And it's part of the reason I was so delighted that you agreed to join me today. And one of the things you and I started talking about is I remember um, when I was a kid, one of the things I would love to do was to sketch dresses, like big 18th century ball gown dresses. And I remember I can visually recall the sketch pad I had and be sitting in the living room doing this. And for some reason, one day at eight years old, I had this thought, you know, I can never do this as a profession because it's too fun. And I remember just being horrified by that thought. And I think you work with a lot of people who have sort of that concept of how work has to be a serious thing.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing that even at an early age, you you learn this. uh, What's really a misconception that. Uh, our work can't be fun, that if there's something that you enjoy as a child when you grow up, that goes away. And, you know, I've certainly heard that in the past when talking about humor in the workplace, people are like, no, but, you know, work is supposed to feel like work. Or people even told me, you know, like work is, you know, if work was meant to be fun, it would be called play. (laughs) And, (laughs) I don't know. And, and maybe it's partially a change in terms of how we work. Maybe it's a generational thing. But for me, I've always kind of imagined like the average person will work 90,000 hours in their lifetime, Extraordinary. Right, which is a lot of time. That is longer than everything that is on Netflix, Amy. That is a long time. <laughs> and Lord
1: knows I have tried to get through that.
2: <laughs> exactly. Right. And so it's like, all right, well, if we're going to do that work anyway, my thought is we might as well try to find ways to enjoy it. And what's crazy is that when we do find ways to enjoy our work, when we add a little bit of humor, not only do we enjoy our work more, but we actually get better results. And that's what I think is the best piece of it is that it's a, a win-win, both for you as a human and for the organization.
1: You know, I wish you were around, not only when I was eight, though well, that, that would have been technically impossible, though at least 20 years ago when I started my business, because one of the things I did was I took a self-assessment around my values. And my top two values were fun and play. And I remember thinking, oh my God, how will I ever earn money if all I want to do is have fun and play? And luckily, I I just kept that in the back of my mind and I didn't let it stop me. In fact, it over the years when I saw, I remember one time a client said, you know, they hired me again for a second gig. I said, well, you know, listen, you're, we're doing this in French. My French is really um, questionable. What makes you want to keep working with me? <laughs> she said, it's your energy, it's your fun. And I thought, oh, wow, that's fascinating. And I think maybe I might have a corner on the market working in, uh, you know, the Swiss culture because they, there is a tendency to be, be a bit um, uh, conservative in the way people express themselves. And so that's one of the gifts I've learned that I bring to my clients is that fun and play.
2: Absolutely. Well, and it is interesting because from a corporate perspective, you know, people would maybe say, "Ah, I don't know about fun and play, but they've almost just given them different names. But maybe we don't want fun and play, but we want someone who's passionate about their work. We want someone who's engaged in what they do. We want a team player who builds strong relationships. It's like, well, fun and play help you get all of those things that you're saying that you're wanting. Uh, so why wouldn't you want them? So I think that's a great yeah. you know, piece is that that's stuck with you and that you've brought it back because it can be weirdly a competitive advantage. It's almost sad. Like, I don't know. I, I've thought about this in the past because I you know, teach people how to use humor effectively in the workplace and I love what I do and I'm happy that I'm able to do it. But in some ways it's a little kind of disappointing that I even have a job that like, me telling people use humor that they're like, what, what a novel idea. It's like, (laughs) there's something kind of wrong with how we're raised if that's the the case, but I'm happy to at least maybe be changing the narrative.
1: Yeah. You and I are both from the world of improvisational theater and using these techniques to help people become better human beings. Um, For listeners who aren't familiar with improv and using it in this way, in this non-performance mode, how would you describe improv, how it's used? listen Sure.
2: Well, I think it's a great question because, you know, there is misconceptions around improv because you tell people like, oh, I do improv and sometimes the, the reaction is one of two things. It's either tell me a joke, right. uh, which is like, well, that's, you know, not improv. That's a little bit more stand up. And even then getting put on the spot like that is a little bit weird. Um, or they say that the big thing that a lot of people say is like, oh, improv, I could never do that. Yeah. Right. Because they have this conception that it's like, oh, you've got to be funny and you've got to completely wing it. And I don't think of improvisation as winging it. I think of it as leveraging your experience and expertise and adapting to the present moment. And that is true in a performance setting that is learning, you know, taking your skill as an improviser and saying either funny lines or connecting as a character or building relationships with the scene partner, right? Partner up Um, in a performance standpoint. Or in real life, it is adapting and being present in the moment. And it's something that, you know, we do every single day, right? You and I are improvising some of a conversation now. People who are listening right now are probably improvising a little bit on the road if they're listening while driving because a car comes over and they have to adapt. And so my thought is if you already improvise, which we know you have to because right. your life isn't scripted, you might as to learn some valuable techniques and get good at it because you're you're going to do it anyway and this applied piece well, what we call applied improvisation is just taking the concepts ideas and even some of the exercises from the world of improv and applying it to other situations like communication skills leadership skills uh, building relationships improving your own confidence etc so it's it's an application piece that i think uh people don't always realize is so valuable to improv
1: Yeah, I like how you connect it with just everyday activities that we're improvising all the time. And I think people might be very conscious now with the reality of what COVID has uh, caused us to have to do that. Oh, well, yeah, I'm I'm improvising a lot more than I ever thought I would or could. Um, I want to give a shout out to the network that we're a part of. So if anyone's curious to know more about this concept of applied improv, you can check out the website appliedimprovisation.network. And that's where you can um, just have a host of resources and amazingly talented professionals who can bring this work to your companies. So Drew, I want to ask now, um, specifically, you talked about improv in general, how has improv helped you?
2: Yeah, it's a a great question. And a quick shout out to the network as well, as you mentioned, because there are so many of these applications of improvisation so you have people like uh, me and amy who use it for kind of the corporate and communication and that kind of stuff and then you have people who are using it with uh people who are suffering from dementia or kids with autism or helping to you know uh, a friend of mine you know did improv in cyprus to try to help mend some relationships after civil war right like there's all of these massive like implications and value of improvisation because there's a couple of things from improv that are really ultimately life skills. That's why one of my favorite books is called Improv Wisdom by Patricia Ryan Matson, because it's all about what are the applications that come from improv that we can apply to to life. And for me, it's, it's really helped in two ways. One is it's really helped me boost my confidence. Hmm. because, you know, I'm a, I'm a planner. I, I've, had a, I've always had a five-year plan since I was like, I think, 12 years old or something. <laughs> I always like, and I'm a project manager by training. That's what I did at Procter & Gamble. I'm used to like creating the charts and having the specific schedule and all of that. And I was, in the past, I was confident when I had the set plan and everything right. went according to plan, right? Then I was confident because I knew what to expect and I'd accounted for it. And you mentioned like, especially in today's time, people have told me, you know, that we've been working with one-on-one and then like, if I had just known this was going to happen, I could have planned so much better. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's all of life. We had all known that this was going to go on and in this way, it would be a little bit different. So instead of basing your confidence on having the perfect plan and everything going perfectly to plan, what if you got more confident knowing that no matter what happens, you would be able to adapt? You would be able to, as we call from improvisation, yes and your way through the situation, right? Yes and is the fundamental mindset of improvisation. And that's where improv comes in. You get comfortable being in the uncomfortable, or you get comfortable being in the unknown almost in a sense. And that's what's really helped me boosting my confidence. And then, even just that application of yes and going back to that idea of, oh, you're going to work 90,000 hours in the workplace, yes, and you might as well enjoy it. And that's kind of where the humor for me comes in is that. Humor is almost a yes ending of our work. It's saying we're doing this anyway, so mm. let's enjoy it. Let's have a little bit of fun.
1: Oh, nice connection. And for me, you might have said this, though, um, sometimes for people, they're hearing that idea of yes, and it's the concept may feel unclear the way I like to say it. And I think maybe Kat talks about it in her book this way is anything is an offer. You mm-hmm. know, a person sitting next to you on the bus, um, a, a smile, a, um, a compliment, a Um, you know, and then the flip side, the, you know, a, um, a complaint, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and so when we widen our scope that the offers are all around us and the game is to, um, go with the flow of that. And that doesn't mean saying yes to everything. It can be, uh, um, there's many ways to accept someone's offer, I, I think is what I want to say
2: yeah well and even like you said pretty much everything can be an offer and like you said doesn't mean that you have to say yes to every single offer and the yes part of it is a little bit of a misnomer because people think that it means that you're enthusiastic or that you you're you become a yes person yeah that you have to say yes to everything because even the pandemic in a sense is an offer it doesn't mean that it's one that we're super happy about but it is an offer in some ways and so it becomes okay how do you and it if this pandemic is already happening How are you using it as an opportunity to, you know, start to read a little bit more, to work on that one project that you always wanted to, or to even just connect more fully with your family, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I have spent more time uh, with my mom this year because we did multiple trips to Ohio and stayed for a month or two weeks or, you know, extended periods of time. And we saw each other every single day versus just going in for one day or two days when I would be traveling all over the place. And so again, it's not saying, Hey, I'm so happy that there's a pandemic and, you know, sorry for everyone else, but this is amazing. But it's more right. of saying, okay, because this is already existing, that's the offer that does happen to take place. I'm, I'm saying, yes, not that I love it, but yes, it's a reality. Yeah. And here's my action as part of that. Yeah. Here's how I'm going to react.
1: Yeah. A couple of things I said yes to, at the start of the pandemic, I, I had about seven to 10, 10 days of sort of a little bit of freaking out, and then when I settled in, I'm like, "Okay, Amy, is going to be going on for a couple of months at least. <laughs> uh, what do you want to accomplish in these coming months? That if you don't do it, you'll be disappointed with yourself." And so I made a list, and some of the things I did was I mar- Marie condoed my winter wardrobe. <laughs> my sister Sheila is a Marie Condo consultant, so I got her to coach me from Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I hired a coach to work on my one woman show. Not sure when I'll be performing that. And I signed up for a course to teach trainings online. So I knew that, you know, I would be like, had every advantage available. Um, and, you know, I was just, it, I stayed very productive and very happy, partly because of having that, you know, saying, not, not trying to fight what was going on and just going with the flow and, and advancing it by building on that.
2: Yeah, which I think is is a beautiful thing to, to be able to, to do and to be able to look back. That 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 uh, future-paced thinking is a great way to think about that. And in fact, that's like kind of how like when I left PNG to start my own company and do that full time, future-paced thinking can sometimes help give you clarity on a decision because it can be it can feel very, very tough in that exact moment. But if you're like, okay, me looking back. What do I want to accomplish, I think, is a, a valuable skill set. And, and you're seeing it, incredible things that people have done in this environment of, again, people connecting more closely with families, starting a new hobby, learning cooking, or, uh, again, even just saying, okay, this is my time to reset. Because I, I think that we also have to keep in mind that for some people, this isn't like, oh, I've got to learn eight now 8,000 different things, and if I didn't, this was a, a waste of a pandemic. It's like, no, maybe it was just that... <laughs> you spend a little bit more time kind of with yourself or working on yourself.
1: Yeah. And the, and the thing you said about connecting with family, there's seven kids in my family were spread across the globe and we have had zoom birthday parties. We had a zoom murder mystery, you know, things we've never ever done in the past. And we've still been, you know, at this distance. So yeah, that was a, has been a really nice bonus. Drew, I want to talk about your book, which has the same mm-hmm. title as your company humor that works mm-hmm. and I want to dive into some, from your perspective, what are some of the specific benefits of humor?
2: Yeah, it's a great question because again, the, the, what's interesting is that this all comes from, you know, me being an engineer, right? My background is I have a degree in computer science and engineering. And so my kind of foray into humor and using it was less about even this kind of yes ending and let's, you know, have fun. It actually started because it was helping me get better results. Because as an engineer, it was this really valuable tool for solving problems. And the kind of real connecting moment of it happening was I remember being in this meeting that was so boring. Uh, it was like one of those meetings where it's like so boring, you want to like cry. Oh, gosh. Like was boring. Like, like where you start daydreaming of all these other things you wish you could be doing instead of that meeting. And it's and so not even laundry. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, you're not like, oh, I want to go skydiving. You're like, should I? Should I get a root canal right now so I feel something What <laughs> no, should happen? Uh, and the problem with this particular meeting was that I was the one leading the meeting. And I had this realization oh where it was like, oh. yeah. Oh, true. It's like all right, if I'm bored while talking, they have to be bored while listening and this was early on in my career at png and so i had this existential crisis because i was like is this the rest of my life right i just went through school etc is this the next 50 years of my life is meetings and emails and meetings and emails and i'm going to hate all of it and i was talking with a good friend of mine and this particular friend was the one who pushed me into improv because i started doing improv in university because my best friend wanted to start a group he needed people forced me to join so I was talking with him about this because he was going off to Chicago to, to, you know, study at Second City and everything. And I moved to Cincinnati to do this corporate job. And I was like, maybe I made the wrong decision. Maybe I should like, you know, sleep on a couch somewhere and just do that. And he's like, listen, you you love problems, which I do. I love solving problems. Like I do Sudoku and Ken, Ken for fun. You know, <laughs> I don't think of them as math problems. I think of them as math opportunities,
1: oh, uh, right? I love
2: solving problems. And he's like, consider this a problem to be solved. And I was like, interesting, how would I solve boredom as a problem? So I started to incorporate a little bit of humor, what I had learned mm. from improvisation. I started to bring more humor into my presentations, adding images, telling stories, doing interactive exercises. And I realized it started getting better results. And as I started to see those better results, I started to do research on it, right? Cause I'm an engineer. I'm like, does this actually, is this a mm. thing?
1: It, did I just get out, lucky? Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: exactly, yeah. Or is this just a weird scenario with this particular person or this particular team? And now it turns out that there's over 30 benefits to using humor in the workplace backed by research case studies, real world examples. And they range from things like helping to improve, uh, connections to build building relationships, whether that is virtual or in person. Uh, it is about creating a more, uh, like positive workplace, creating a little bit of psychological safety, it's helping people be more authentic and more human. Uh, There are physiological benefits to laughing and smiling, like burning calories or increasing uh, your boosting your immune system, decreasing stress, relieving muscle tension, right? So there's all these incredible benefits to using humor that I was like, oh, This is just another strategic tool in my tool belt that I can start to apply in certain situations to get the results that I want.
1: You know, Drew, when you were talking about all those benefits, you named another uh, psychological safety, the connection, um, and there was another one. And it made me think of an uh, NPR broadcast I heard just a couple of days ago where they say that laughter is a play signal and is meant to indicate to others that we have harmless intentions. So you can imagine yeah. when you're meeting people, perhaps for the first time, when like, I, I realize I must do this unconsciously. I'm, I immediately connect and I'm very playful with participants when they're first coming in the morning. Cause I know they've heard about me and they're like, Oh my God, she's so, you know, she doesn't look as scary as she's, you know, I've heard about mm-hmm. her. So I sometimes have this reputation being a really tough coach, no nonsense. And so immediately to build that rapport, um, I think that I have done that, um, used that as a strategy, not even knowing it consciously.
2: Yeah, well, it is like when you make someone laugh or let's say you make me laugh, one is creating a positive moment and I'm going to associate that positive moment with you. It's like, okay, this was a fun experience. And then I think at a subconscious level or maybe even sometimes at a conscious level, I'm like, oh, well, you get me. Like you mm. understand, you you have enough at least empathy and understanding about me in some sense to have made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Right. You need a certain level to actually make that happen. And so I think that that, you know, that's why Victor Borg said, you know, the shortest distance between two people is a smile. Yeah. It's that it kind of instant connection. Like you said, this is harmless intention. I'm not going to like hurt you or anything like that. So it is this positive way to build relationships you know there's all of these different benefits to to using humor that aren't just about hey let's all have fun but more about no i'm doing this strategically
1: mm. and you have talked to me about the five core skills that come mm-hmm. these benefits let's go into some a deep dive into some of those
2: absolutely so we you know as an engineer i love taking things apart and then putting them back together again and then seeing how they work and you know so i've done it with Humor, I did it as a computer engineer. And I think if you, if you take work apart and really try to distill it down to its most basic skills, it's really kind of five core things that you do every single day, no matter who you are. And this we've learned and proven over time when we've worked with a wide range of people, as you mentioned, right? So groups like Microsoft and IBM or international organizations like the UN or the Red Cross or um, more serious organizations like the FBI, the US Navy, or even kind of interesting organizations like the International Association of K9 Professionals.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh,
2: okay. Which fantastic group uh group of dog trainers. They're amazing. <laughs> nice. Uh, um, but the the all of their work really comes down to these five core things. And so the, the first uh, core skill of work is execute. You have to be able to execute a task, to be able to send an email or you know, enter data or fry the french fries or shave an alpaca. If <laughs> you're an alpaca farmer, <laughs> um, you have to be able to complete a task. Uh, then you need to be able to think, to think strategically, to solve problems as they come up, to figure out in, the, in a Zoom uh, virtual meeting world, to figure out the exact kind of like framing of your picture so that you don't show the chaos that is of everything kind of behind yeah. you. Um, you have to be able to communicate. So the third skill is you have to be able to communicate, to articulate your ideas in a way that other people understand as well as understand them to be able to send the right email that gets a response to pick the perfect emoji to send in the group chat so that people know that you're kind of joking and that a sarcasm that they're not upset Mm -hmm. with you or et cetera. You have to, the four skills, you have to be able to connect. You know, this is emotional intelligence and empathy and building strong rapport and relationships with people. And then the fifth skill, the last skill is you have to be able to lead to uh, influence people to some type of common goal. And and this leadership in this component isn't necessarily, oh, I am a senior leader and I have a job title like CEO or manager, but more at any level of the organization that you want to influence or motivate other people.
1: Okay. And maybe that's even more important when you don't have the positional power to be able to influence and and lead others when you need help, assistance, buy-in. So exactly. If,
2: yeah. If you, because people can't do things because you told them to as their manager, but you're the project manager or you're an intern at a company or whatever. Right. You're just in that situation where it's like, okay, I've got to motivate these people by something other than saying you have to do this.
1: Yeah. We're going to take a break shortly, though. Before we do, Drew, do you have an example from one of those five areas of, uh, from one of your clients?
2: Sure. yeah. So, in terms of helping people uh, for uh, one great example, so we like I mentioned, we did some work with the Red Cross. And so in that um, uh, in this particular instance, they wanted to they were presenting to a bunch of teenagers, high school students, and they wanted to have a, an understanding of like, okay, how do we train them in geoengineering? We want to explain some complex stuff around what we can do around climate change to reduce it. And so, um the person we were working with, a, a great guy named Pablo Suarez, was, uh, talking about putting sulfur in the air, which is akin to putting a bunch of little tiny umbrellas in the atmosphere. And that would reduce the overall amount of sunlight we are hitting. So it's a, an example of engineering. So when they were doing that, I was like, Oh, while you're communicating that you should make a reference to Mary Poppins. And uh, Pablo was like, that's stupid. He's like, first of all, these are high school students. I don't even know if they'll remember Mary Poppins. This was before the, the new movie. Came out. And he's like, exactly. And it's like, second of all, I don't like the movie Mary Poppins. And I was like, okay, well, that's blasphemy. It's an amazing movie. But I was like, I think it'll work. It'll get people to lean in a little bit more. And um, he's a scientist, which is great. So he was like, all right, let's test it, right? Let's prove it. So uh-huh. we set up cameras uh, for this in-person event. We tracked everyone's, like we recorded the audience. And then we put that audience through MIT Mood, Le- mood Labs, so we could actually see what was their engagement, what you know, mood were they in. Yeah. And when he, got to, um, when he got to the Mary Poppins thing, there was an increase in engagement and increase in excitement and all that. And we could actually da- like scientifically prove that it was a nice peak in that particular thing. And it was just a simple way of connecting a complex idea with something people really enjoy that got them to lean in a little bit more.
1: <laughs> Sweet, that's a great example. And you must've felt pretty satisfied.
2: <laughs> I did, I was like, yes, the data proves Mary
1: it. Mary came through. So we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the dangers of using humor and how to develop your own humor. Now, if you want to find out more about Drew, check out his website, humorthatworks.com, or you can find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Drew Tarvin. And for sure, if you're listening and you want to call us and talk to us live, that number is going to be 1-866-472-5790. You're listening to partner up with Amy Carroll on the voice America business channel.
0: Become our friend on Facebook, post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbors that just drive you crazy? Sometimes do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make your partner look good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she's been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more out of what you want more often, with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C A R R O L L Coaching.com
1: on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.
0: You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Call into the program today with questions or comments or your own interpersonal communication dilemmas to share. The toll-free number in North America is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy.
1: Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. I'm here with Drew Tarvin, a self-proclaimed humor engineer, talking about the power of humor. Before the break, we discussed some of the many benefits of humor, both in our personal lives and professional lives. Though people like any good news, there's always some bad news. So now we're going to visit the dark side. So Drew, talk to me about some of the dangers of using humor and hopefully how to avoid them.
2: Yes, well, so you're exactly right because humor is, is simply a tool, right? Uh, in fact, we kind of equate humor to kind of being like a screwdriver because you can use a screwdriver to build something up. You use a screwdriver to take something down. Uh, you could, uh, it often involves a little bit of a twist, just like humor does. And technically though, it is a screwdriver meant to be hopefully pretty positive. You could try to stab someone (laughs) with it, right? So there are some dangers of humor, namely that, uh, humor can be used to, uh, create in and out groups to actually create separations between people. Mm -hmm. It can be used to disparage people to like, kind of really knock them down to to punch downwards. Um, and it can be a distraction. Right. If it's used inappropriate, it's kind of like here's the distraction and you're you're taking away from uh, importance from something that is really actually important. And the way that we can avoid it, I think, is sometimes it's helpful to know why humor is inappropriate. And uh, humor tends to be inappropriate for one of three reasons. Uh, First of all, it has an inappropriate topic. Right. Like humor is not an excuse to then talk about something that you would not otherwise normally talk about in that context. Like if you're in the workplace, it's not like I have this really funny racist joke and you're like, yeah, but it's racist. And you're like, I know, but it's really funny. It's like, well, no, it's not appropriate. Right. So making sure that you have the right topic, um, making sure that it's not something inappropriate. Uh, The second reason why humor is inappropriate uh, tends to be because it has an inappropriate target. So humor does, you know, oftentimes have someone that you are kind of something that you are poking fun at. And so it depends on what that target is. If it's just something about life, that's usually pretty good. If it's about an individual person and their characteristics or their you know, personality or whatever, not appropriate again for the workplace. Uh, and then finally, it could come at an inappropriate time. So mm-hmm. recognize that humor is incredibly valuable in a lot of situations, but not every situation, right? Like yeah. if, if you've just fired someone it's not a time to like bust out your frozen parody and be like i've got to let you go let you go you're not going to work <laughs> here anymore like it's like that's not the time that's, okay yeah, that's terrible a terrible really
1: good thing. point <laughs>
2: So Bad yeah, time. those are, those tends to be the, the three things and the, the way that, so that's helpful. I think sometimes for people to recognize, okay, making sure a sense check, is this humor about to use any one of those three? Does it, is it an appropriate topic? Is an appropriate target? Is an appropriate time? And target, the easiest,
1: topic, time. Okay. Yep.
2: Yeah, uh, three Ts. And the easiest way I think to think about it or to stay safe about it is what we call the newspaper rule or maybe in in today's uh, environment, maybe what we call the woke Twitter rule. And that is to say, would you be comfortable with whatever it is that you did as a humor instance, showing up on the front page of your hometown newspaper or getting blasted all over social media? Yeah. And if you're like, "Ah, I don't know if I'd want everyone in the world to hear this joke that I told this person at the workplace, then probably not appropriate for work.
1: Oh, that is so user-friendly and so crystal clear. That's great. And if you can't remember topic, time, target, then mm-hmm. you use the the Twitter woke rule.
2: Yeah, yeah the woke Twitter rule, exactly. <laughs> Twitter. And I think that and, and I think it's helpful for people to recognize that uh, there is a difference between humor that you use with your friends yeah. or that you would do if you're a stand-up comedian. And humor that you would use uh, to be appropriate in the workplace, and so the the types of training and what we're doing is we're not training people so that they become stand-up comedians and have a Netflix special, or we're not teaching them improv so that they go onto whose line is it anyway. We're teaching them as skills so that they can solve challenges in the workplace, and so that means that the context as well as the type of humor that you're going to use is going to be a little bit different than maybe what you're used to. Seeing on the uh, like stand-up comedy screen,
1: I love that because that takes a lot of. I hope as listeners are hearing that, that takes a lot of pressure off them, because mm-hmm. I think they don't realize how much more how much more readily available this idea of humor is than um, than it is. I don't know <laughs> because sure. they're having that assumption. It's about the stand-up. You know, I as you were talking about uh, the dangers of humor, I. Uh, I had a couple of thoughts flash into my mind. One was, notoriously, what i where I get myself in trouble is with sarcasm with strangers. And then sometimes I do sarcasm with strangers in French. <laughs> and that's just a whole nother level of really, really, you know, a, a disaster waiting to happen. So I remember I had been in the u s for a couple of weeks. and, always, I've never drew, I've never learned to travel light. I've got a suitcase that is as big as I am and weighs about as much as I do. And I was, had been flying back and of course I had jet lag and I was a bit woozy and I had gotten, I was on the train and I dragged my suitcase to the exit area. And I was just about to get off the train and a man, um, Got, we, we got, he got in line behind me. So he was standing right behind me. And I just thought it was the, you know, the most clever, funny, engaging thing. I turned to him and I said to him in French, Oh, just in time, meaning just in time to help me with my suitcase off the train. And I thought, Oh, Amy, God, you are so charming and and <laughs> playful. You, 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 you can, I, I can barely stand it. Oh, Drew, his response you had you would think i had just um, like tossed his his dog out the window or something he blew up at me and i luckily my french is bad enough that i didn't quite understand everything he said mm-hmm. <laughs> though all i know was he was he, um he was so um in, in, incensed that i would think that it was acceptable that um, I would make this comment that, you know, implying that he should help me take get my suitcase off the train. Uh, I, I mean, I was, I was like shaking up and this happened a couple of years ago and I can still remember it, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that was a sad day for me. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, and I, I, yeah, one sarcasm is particularly challenging sometimes because it's all in the delivery, and it's sometimes the relationship, and every you know the the balance of it. And then sometimes you're you're catching someone who doesn't pick up on the humor, and and that is one of the things that people are sometimes worried about. Is like, what if it doesn't land, or what if it's awkward, or what if you know all of these different scenarios and uh, one, it, it becomes a funny moment a little bit later as you have, as right. that time passes. you right. You can, you can tell that story. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, I think the other thing is, and this is the, in the workplace, we typically don't spend a lot of time on teaching people how to use sarcasm um, because it's so cultural. And because it's technically a negative form of humor. Right. Um, which can be good for building relationships, but it is a negative form. And so if you keep your humor more positive, and inclusive, the nice thing is that even if people don't pick up on it as a joke, if it's positive, inclusive, then the positive, inclusive joke just becomes a positive, inclusive statement.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into that more because I know you and I both have some great advice for listeners, how they can develop their own sense of humor. So... Um, let's start with, you have, I think you have three things for people to pay attention to.
2: Yep, exactly like how we took apart, you know, kind of work and put it together again. I did the same thing kind of with understanding what is this skill of humor? Because I do believe humor is a skill, which means it can be learned, right? So if it is a skill, what are the components or what are the practices uh, of the skill? And for me, I think it's three things. It's first, your sense of humor. And that is simply, what do you find Interesting. What makes you laugh? What's your perspective? Right. So your perspective, Amy, on how you see the world and what's curious to you is going to be very different than what I see. Uh, So that is uh, that is a sense of humor. And I think one of the best ways to develop your sense of humor, what comedians do is they all keep a humor notebook Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is simply a repository, a spot where you can go and anytime something comes up and you're like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Or why is this like that? or I was on the train and this guy did not get my joke. This crazy story happened, right? It goes down into your humor notebook and that allows you to one, it starts to change how you see the world right? I don't think that funny things happen to funny people. I just think that funny people see the things that happen to them in a funny way, right? So it changes your perspective and you start to notice just how many opportunities there are for humor in the world at large.
1: Yeah. And I think that that practice makes more funny things appear to you Mm -hmm. just by putting focus and awareness on it.
2: Absolutely. I completely agree. So you have, that's your sense of humor. That's step number one is your sense of humor. Mm. The second is your ability to humor. This is the ability to take that interesting kind of thought that like, huh, why is it like that? And turn it into something comedic, turn it into something that other people can resonate with, that they can enjoy. This is kind of a combination of the content that you write, how you explore that concept, and then how you deliver it. Right, the performance component of it. Mm-hmm. And so the content generation is uh, from UCB, so an improv school um, based in New York and LA. Uh, they teach yes and as a specific application of what they say is if this is true, what else is true? or what else could be true. So you have that interesting idea that observation or this like, oh man, sarcasm has gotten me into some sticky situations sometimes. If that's true, what else is true or what else could be true, mm-hmm. right? So then you can play with it of like, okay, that's a real instance on the train. say I, I decided to stop using sarcasm a little bit because I imagined all the places that it could go wrong. And then you can kind of fabricate or come up with funny other examples of like, oh, you know, I could get in front of a judge and be sarcastic and get you know locked in jail. Or I could be. Did like, my brother Joe you know, tell you
1: the story about the driving thing about the? No, did uh, they, are there more? Apparently, I blocked it out. I was so sarcastic as a teenager with a judge that he the fine he wasn't going to give me, he decided to give me. Yeah. So yeah, you would think I would have learned about sarcasm then. Apparently not. <laughs>
2: Right. Exactly. So that generates that you kind of building this content, this one concept a little bit further. And then there's the delivery component of it. Are you confident when you're presenting? Are you leaving enough pause for people to kind of laugh or at least register the humor that you're using? Right. Some more specific techniques. But that's all of the ability to humor. Right. So you have (laughs) a sense of humor, the ability to humor. And then finally, you have agency with humor. And this is using humor to achieve a specific result. You know, mm-hmm. say you, uh, oh, I want to use humor in an email so that people read it more or more likely to read it. Or I want to use humor in this meeting so that I build stronger connections. Or I want to use humor in this presentation so that people actually remember my ideas a little bit better. So you have that specific result. And what's interesting about the agency with humor is you don't even have to always be the creator of humor. Uh-huh. You can sometimes be a humor curator. Yes. Right? You can say, oh, this quotation is really funny, really well said. And it makes a point for me. Like when I'm talking about humor and I talk about self-enhancing humor, I say, as Kurt Vonnegut said, laughter and tears are both responses to frustration. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. (laughs) I think it's a great quotation. I'm referencing someone like that's someone else creating that humor. I'm still giving credit. I'm not like violating copyright rules, but I'm leveraging it to achieve this point that I want to make.
1: You just made me realize that I have a WhatsApp buddy who is a humor curator. He is mm-hmm. constantly sending me videos and cartoons, and much of it is COVID-related at the moment. Some of it's political on top of it, and I think of this guy as absolutely hilarious.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he's just using what's there, and um, so that's a, a great example that that get you get brownie points, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, as, as far as humor credit for being seen as funny and the impact of connecting with people and all of those benefits that you talked about earlier.
2: Exactly, and everyone has their own kind of personal style that I think that is comes a little bit more naturally. And so if you're really good at that curation, we call you like as, in terms of a style as a curator. Mm. You're the person who like can pick the perfect gif in the group chat to make people laugh or you know the funny quote that's going to happen or yeah you send the the right cat video to that one friend of yours that's stressed out at that particular time that's a great curator if you're really good at this sense of humor stuff if you're constantly kind of seeing the funny stuff in the world around you and you're kind of making note of it or exploring it, then you tend to be a really good writer or creator, what we call creator in the sense that you can take something just from out the world and pluck it out and be like, here's this interesting thought. And maybe that's a Twitter, um, uh, like a tweet that you share out, or maybe it's actually a funny joke that you write Mm -hmm. or more humor piece, right, if you're David Sedaris. Um, Or if you're really good at the ability piece, that creation piece, we call you the performer you're someone who is maybe good at improv or other things or an actor where you can take other people's material and your delivery is just really good with it. And so when we, te- when we're teaching people, it's not to say, Oh, you have to learn all of these things. It can be right. helpful, but think about what is your unique style nice. and just kind of amp it up and be a little bit more intentional about doing
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can tackle it from different directions. So here's what I, am uh, I want to do. I want to um, share some of the things I've uh learned about developing my own sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And then um, let's go back. If you have a, a story or an example where we can, um, you can share it so we can pull it apart and see mm-hmm. where it, your three points apply and where maybe some of this stuff that I'll be talking about applies. Mm-hmm. So um, this comes from an article I wrote and you can find it on my website, the ROI of humor. And I talk about my funny formula. And I realized that so, so a couple of years ago, I analyzed how I developed my humor because my neither uh, m- neither my mother or my father, we would anyone can particularly label them as funny, ha in now, in any stretch of the imagination. And yet all of my siblings and I, there's almost this um, sense of positive competition between us about who can be funnier. Mm-hmm. And so what I think has hap- happens in my brain is I'll just pay attention to any daily event. And so it could be someone who's made a comment. It could be uh, observing children playing. It could be missing a train or a tram or a bus, anything. And then my brain leaps into search mode and it scans this checklist for any re- anything that's related to the event, however mm-hmm. simple or mundane. And so um, I'll often ask myself, and this is almost happening unconsciously, Drew. I think, mm-hmm. what is this similar to? What is this different from? What is it opposite of? And then from there, I'll then I have another checklist of types of humor. Now, you've named some of them. And one of them uh, comes from improvisational theater, which is reincorporation. Mm -hmm. It is amazing how an audience will just eat it up when somebody has said something at the beginning of a scene or a beginning of a show. And then you weave it in at the end and they they just burst out with laughter because they think you're the cleverest person in the world. And it's just because as an improviser, we've learned to be present, to pay attention, make the connections. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, for me, I think of reincorporation like a free joke. I didn't even have to come up with it on my own. Another, and you talked about sarcastic humor and the opposite of that, the, um, um, or one-upmanship. And I call the opposite of that positive humor. Now, Mm -hmm. sarcasm can sometimes, the cool thing is, can be delivered positively. And I think of a positive one-upmanship I observed many years ago. I was working at this hotel school and an Irish couple who worked there was having lunch by themselves. And I, okay, I admit, I was eavesdropping on their conversation. (laughs) And um, the, Man said to the woman, "Oh, darling, you are so funny." And she said, "Oh, my love, no, you are funny. And, no, no, it wasn't funny. I got confused. It was just you're the best. Oh, my love, you're the best. Oh, no, darling, you're the best. Oh, love of my life, you are. You are just amazing. Oh, my dear, you are the most extraordinary person. And of course, they're doing it with a beautiful Irish accent, which doesn't hurt." Mm-hmm. And they're doing this one-upmanship about how the other person is more amazing than them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which it was—it's friggin' simple, and yet it was all I could do not to, you know, laugh out loud and give it away that I was eavesdropping. Mm-hmm. And it was—it was incredibly joyous as well. So that is a great example to me of using both uh, one-upmanship in a po- with a positive twist mm-hmm. and the sarcasm. Um, another thing you mentioned was about self-deprecating humor,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you do this with abandon, and I love how you do it. And one of the things when I'm coaching people is you gotta have you gotta be a pretty confident person to do that because you don't want to use it as a way for people to feel sorry for you or, mm. you know, it's, it's really, it's an important balance not to overuse it because people can start to feel uncomfortable with that. And I think you've got a great balance for that. And then there's, for me, physical humor. Ellen DeGeneres is a great example of a comedian who uses physical humor. Um, and I remember um, a couple of months ago, I was part of an improv show, except it was, it's more like we had separate events. We all had different, they're all a group of different performers. So I was sitting innocently watching when one of the women on stage pointed to me, you know, from the side and was like, Amy, get on stage. And I'm thinking, and I was kind of freaking out because I didn't know what the scene was about. I didn't know what to do. I, so I, I said, Amy, support your. You're a co-actor. So I walked up on stage and I didn't dare open my mouth. So I just calmly smiled and made all sorts of thing, movements with my face and my body that people started laughing. And I thought, well, that's friggin' easy. You know, so. <laughs> and then another thing, I, we're starting to run out of time, though. I, I'm going to start to talk faster, I think. Word games, puns, play on words. You're great at that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things my brother Kevin does is he will, he is, has become, he lives his dream. He creates games. And he's been doing this since I was a kid. He was, he's eight years older than me and he would be driving the car. He's like, okay, all right, listen up everybody. Two points for the singer and one point for the name of the song. And whoever gets, you know, the most points gets to control of the radio. You know, so he, he would have these great ways to keep us very entertained. And, well, and I think
2: that, I mean, yeah, all of those examples, I just want to briefly say is like, there's one, there's a great logic to it. And I strongly encourage, as, as Amy mentioned, the ROI of humor on her website, the blog post, is fantastic. It's a well thought out, and it's a great kind of logical approach. Because what's interesting is people don't realize that there can be a lot of logic to this. It doesn't have to be. There's some people who are very good at humor conversationally. They're They're more the performers, and they don't necessarily need the like, okay, do I need to think about, is this a, you know, a redirection or or a, a reincorporation or whatever? But for others of us, people like me, like, I love this kind of this separation. You're exactly right that they have these different types of styles and you can just learn or practice one of them. You can say, okay, let me start with, can I do reincorporation a little bit more, or can I do some more physical humor? Which one am I more naturally drawn to? And so I think it's just a great articulation of some of these styles people have
1: yeah. Well, thanks for that, Drew. And it looks like we're running out of time. We won't, I won't have time to tell that juicy story. I'll have to find another excuse to tell that another time for listeners. Uh, now, Drew, you had one call for action, though. You have another call for action. I would love for you to share that with the listeners.
2: Sure. So we, we think of the skill of humor, like we said, there's a lot that you can learn. You can learn these individual techniques, but we encourage you to start simply with trying to drive for one smile per hour. Try to think of one thing that you can do each hour of the day that brings a smile to your face or the face of someone else. And what you'll start to do is you'll develop a humor habit and you'll start to notice just how simple it can be to add a little bit more humor with intentionality to your life.
1: Nice. And from my side, my call for action, if you have not been one of the 8 million people who have watched Drew's TEDx talk, be sure to check it out. You can search for Andrew Tarvin on youtube and you can check out his book and his website humor that works.com and the last call for action i have for you is feel free to send me your communication conundrums clashes challenges mishaps and blunders or even more so your successes either via email or social media i'll be reading them and discussing them on future shows you can find me at amy at and drew is there in 15 seconds. Anything else that you want to mention? Some interesting things coming up.
2: Interesting things coming up. We're doing a bunch of virtual programs, including a free virtual open mic. So if people want to get involved and learn how to practice their their humor skill, find out more at
1: humorthatworks.com. Super cool. And from my side, if you want to take your superhero partner powers to the into the next decade, then join me on one of my online leadership presence courses. You can find out more about that at carolcoaching.com. Now, Drew, thank you. This has been just a lovely conversation. I've really enjoyed it.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. And if you have a chance, I'm going to be on doing a Facebook Live so you guys can hop over in five minutes past the hour. And I'll be chatting about today's show. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy partnering.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.